Speaking of, uh, hold on, I think I found this. This is when I was, I think I was telling, I don't know if it was just Paul or both of you. Hold on, let me. Uh, Better just to give snippets of sentences. <sighs> Come on. <laughs> Back to the bin. I'm not paying to go to celebration. It's it's too much money, and it's a lot of you know it's well, a lot of well, crowd. Plus, and... plus, you'd ha- have to take Logan. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be like if you bought the ticket now, it'd be 150 bucks. Yeah, he's pretty much hit the age where you can't go without him now. Yep. I just don't think it's worth it, you know? I had a blast at the last one, but I had a blast because I was hanging out with my friends. Didn't have anything to do with the Star Wars portion of it. The Star Wars portion of it, to me, was just another con, you know? I've been to a million of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to pay 75 bucks to sit in a replica of the Millennium Falcon or Jabba's, uh, you know, palace. I mean, it's kind of... Well, that's like uh, I said. If if I if I have a chance of getting down there that weekend, I couldn't care less about going to the con. I just want to hang out with yeah. you guys, and Matt, and you know whoever we can get together. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's it, you know I mean, but I know it turns out to, to be a little I inconvenient think... just as far as the dates and everything with Father's Day and everything that was going on. But I definitely agree with the aspect of we had every bit as much fun that weekend as we would have if we went to the con. The lack of con did not hurt us at all. Right. Except they didn't get a foot massage. Well, but now I found a place for next time. (laughs) I want my foot massage. Come on back up. I'll I'll bring you to the place. I don't want a small Korean woman to walk on my back. Oh, sorry. I've said too much. You. Hmm. You lay down, Mr. Robinson. Maybe we'll get Ernie Chan to walk on your back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you make fun of me, motherfucker. It just starts stomping on your head. Ow, ow, ow. Why are you wearing boots? Wait, this isn't what I ordered. Meanwhile, in my mind right now, Ernie Chan is like a foot and a half tall. <laughs> Wait, it's really Chris Tyler in a geisha outfit. Ah! Alright, are we going to do an episode of what? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. I am joined by my ever stalwart partners scott h gardner i don't know what h stands for today what does h stand for today um happenstance <laughs> okay that's uh, where it works and I was doctor, gonna say, what were you gonna say i was gonna say heebie-jeebies maybe next week that'll be scott and as you just heard his voice dr bill robinson yeah this week is a doctor of what a doctor of happenstance <laughs> doctor of heebie-jeebies so how are you guys doing I'm a Pokemon doctor. I'm doing fantabulously. That's good. That, that makes one out of three. <laughs> are you not fantabulous today? Hey, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you, well, yeah, I'm not really fantabulous either. I'm, I'm ice. I'm ice. You're not tickety-boo. I'm not tickety-boo and I'm not fantabulous. <laughs> and I don't have a jetpack. Aww. And I haven't been able to go on the King Kong ride, and I'm jealous of everybody who can. Oh. So, so what, are you doing, what are you doing here, then? Here? Meaning Long Island? 
So if you're sad, would it be boo-tickety? I guess. I don't know. Well, it's actually, it's when you're happy, hooray, or sad, awe. So it's awe. <laughs> or excited. Yay. Eat. Or mad. Or, or rats. Rats. Wow. <laughs> hey. And interjection starts a sentence right. You know, you know what, what What's make funny me about that song is that they never use any of the interjections that I use on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> Damn! Yours, yours are, are, Mr. Spock would call them colorful metaphors. Oh, yes, the classics. In, in all, all the uh, literature of the day. <laughs> I know some that are actually conjunctions, too, like mother... <laughs> you Vulcan <laughs> sucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's bring us back to our uh, family friendly rating here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I I don't want us to get a mature rating. No, I there's nothing wrong either. with day. There's nothing wrong with Vulcan sucker. That's that's why that's I why I bleep long... about I bleep a good seventy five to eighty percent of the f bombs that you guys drop. There's I, all I'm saying is Vulcan sucker. Uh, there's been long lines of people who have been Vulcan suckers their whole life. You know you know I'm gonna bleep out the actual words every time you say it. Oh, I'm saying oh. Vulcan Boop. sucker. That's what it's going to sound like. Sucker. So what do you think people are going to think you're saying? Uh, it's a Mr. Spock cleaner. There you go. You're going to bleep that too, aren't you? I'm going to bleep it to make it sound like you're as filthy as humanly possible. <laughs> nah, can't happen, buddy. Like just like the the, the Bins commercial enough, from four years ago. There aren't enough bleeps in the world. <laughs> we should have been recording that uh, that game that we were playing online earlier today. I'm sure that would uh, that would have been hysterical. Nice family Disney Infinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, 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 what? Oh, yeah. When I was Iron Man, like, yeah, I'm sneaking up a double repulsor right up. Right up the, you know. The wazoo. Yeah. Iron Man giving you a double repulsor blast up the wazoo. <laughs> so comic books, huh? Yes. I like them comic book things. I think, I think they may catch on one day. <laughs> uh, it's just a passing fad. It only lasts 70, 80 years and be out. Then be gone with a digital era. Oh, wait. Did I speak too soon? I saw a news story the other day that said that uh, all of a sudden uh, Marvel Comics is rallying and uh, they had like a banner month recently. I didn't I didn't click on the article, so you know it's it's I just gathered that from the the headline of the article. Do you guys know more? Did you did you actually read up on this or anything? Or? Well, I think I think the banner months are, are falsely inflated a lot. Didn't they just hearing. launch Civil War Two or something? That's probably yeah. what it is. That's probably why. And and it's also number one issues all across the board again. And you know it's, it's oh, okay. You know DC is is rallying right now with their rebirth stuff. Yeah, more look more number ones. More but, number but ones. To me, more... it's artificial inflation of numbers. Right. So I don't think it's solidifying the industry. It's like a comic book boob job. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's like you know you see these people who have who have plastic surgery and every time they do it they look a little <laughs> bit more freakish so they're gonna look like Mickey Rourke is what they're gonna look like after or, or Joan Rivers or uh, that one of the Versace people who looks then there's that lady that looks like a lion oh she's sick 
Oof. You know, but but that's that's the problem I have with the comics industry right now is I I don't I just I just think it is a dying industry. I, I don't know how they're gonna do anything to repair it. I don't know. You if they are can. dying. I don't know if they can anymore. And the the closer I feel like we get to that, the more I just disassociate myself with it. Right. So that you know, I'm I'm just di- digging my my way deeper and deeper into older issues now because I just don't really care what they're coming out with. Except for the occasional series that I'll hear really good things about, and then I'll check it out usually after the fact. Right. So I, I am, I am probably among the causes for why it's dying right now because I'm not willing to spend money to buy the new ones. But until oh yeah, start... Scott, Scott didn't know about that sale that I was going to go to, but you guys saved me. You and Russell saved me from the sale. Yancey Street had a uh, current comics, current comics on the wall on the rack, uh, new books. He, uh, anything under seven ninety nine was going for a dollar. Wow. So you know how, how he had the back. Well, he he had the dollar bins, then he had the back issue bins. And remember, he does the nine ninety nine and below for a dollar. Well, he was right. doing the stuff on the wall, not not the not like the key. An amazing fantasy number fifteen for a buck. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, any well anything that was, was under seven ninety nine was going for a dollar, and but uh, but I had a prior commitment that luckily Russell and Paul kept me from. Uh, I was like, oh, I should go. I should go. No. You turned into Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> buy the comics for a dollar. So you missed it? Yeah, I didn't go. Oh. It was their 13th anniversary sale, and I missed it. I saw the email, like, at 6 o'clock, and we were recording at, I think, 7.30. And I was like, there's just not enough time for me to go and, you know. Like I'm just not gonna go. Aww. I stopped at a store today. Their back issue bins were uh, none none too impressive. So I made made short. I was out of there in short order. <laughs> I haven't been to a comic shop in in ages lately. Yeah. I haven't uh, since you've been in, in New York. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as far as just going out, you know, hunting on my own, I, you know, in the in the area down here, I just, eh. That's because we've been hunting Infinity figures. Yeah, no kidding. I've been hunting Elmers. Uh, depends on what's uh, what's going on tomorrow. Maybe I'll go out and see if I can I can scare some up. There was a, a last weekend. There was a, a garage sale listed that said it had comics but it was just it was just a little bit beyond where i wanted to drive to you know driving distance wise so i didn't go but if they list again this uh this weekend maybe i'll go i don't know well well scott wasn't that you that said you saw some comics on craigslist it was in yeah spring, was, spring hill yeah I, i'm sorry i'm not gonna i'm not looking for comics on craigslist yeah buddy come on in it's back here in the back yeah. Hey, <laughs> you never know. You never know. You, you can you can catch some good things on there. You just you know you, you got to watch out for the sketchy ones. That's, where that's the, where are the books at? Back behind this torture rack. <laughs> Is that a gimp suit? Just got to go down to the basement. Basement <laughs> hole. Yep. You go first. Yep. You better call Zid. They lower you down in a bucket. That's how it works. Zid puts dead, the comic dude. book in the basket. <laughs> Put the comic in the plastic. 
So you guys already covered all the emails. So what does that leave us with? That leaves us in a position where we actually need to do some comics. <gasps> Isn't that just a, a, a wild thought? That's funny how that works. So, Bill, what book did you bring today? Oh, uh, don't do that to him. I told him not to bring a book today. Don't don't throw him under the bus. Are it's you not the producer of the show? It's not his fault. <laughs> did did you ask the producer if Bill should bring a book? Oh, really? Is this where we're gonna go? <laughs> this is just where we're gonna. Oh, okay. I'm only gonna I'm only Scott... I'm only gonna play that game if I can make Bill feel bad with it. Wow. Scott made me play Disney Infinity. I swear. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, who Scott. taught you how to play Disney Infinity? You did. I learned, I learned it from you. Well, I just figured, you know, the last umpteen times that all three of us have brought a book, somebody ends up sitting out at the end because we're always, you know, we're old men and we're all tired and shit. By the end of it, so we're like, I can't do three books. Go on without me. So, you know. So you just decided figured, to sua sponte change the format. Yes. Yes. Sua we, we do that. Oh, that's a big word. Is that a real word? That would be Latin. Ooh. Oh, Sua that's right. You... She was the colorist on that one issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did Ernie Chan draw that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sua Sponte, you do crap work on my book. <laughs> I walk on Bill's back. <laughs> Shh, that's, that's pre-show stuff, man. Shh, kayfabe it, man. Kayfabe it. <laughs> Good egg roll. Maybe, maybe there's like an Ernie Chan Pokemon out there that you have to find. <laughs> He's very angry. <laughs> Why, Pokemon? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm legend in comics and now I'm fucking Pokemon. I'm so going to hell. I have no idea what Ernie Chan is like in real life, but I guarantee you he's not the way we're doing it. Is he still alive in real life? I don't know. I'm going to look him up. <laughs> oh, man. I like that he's become a character on the show, though. Yeah. Until he hears the show. Somebody's going to write us out to him. And oh, be... he passed away. Oh. He died in 2012. Oh. No, he's 71. Bad. See, Bill, don't you feel oh. horrible now? Bill, you killed Ernie Chen. <laughs> I didn't kill Ernie Chen. I didn't even know he was sick. <laughs> you fat bastard, Dr. Bill, you kill me. Is there a picture of him on what you're looking at? Yeah, I'm looking at him on Wikipedia right now. Is uh -oh. he actually an Asian gentleman? Yeah, he's from the Philippines, apparently. Oh, okay. See, I had a Filipino company commander, so now, I know I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be yelled at by a a very nice Filipino gentleman. Now, but I, I won't repeat what he said. Sometimes he was Ernie Chan, and sometimes he was Ernie Chua. Is he just like our our, our alphabet? Okay, well, interestingly enough, or... Ernie Chan was born Ernie Chua due to what due to what he called a typographical error on my birth certificate. Ah, that makes sense. I guess. See, now you make me feel bad. You should feel uh, bad for killing the poor guy. <laughs> I did kill him! <laughs> I, I just shot to wound him! Before, before you started doing his voice, as far as I know, he was alive. Then you oh. started doing the voice, and then we look and he's dead. And my voice retroactively traveled back through time. <laughs> I killed Ernie Chan. Whoa. It said he Oh, it was a year-long battle with cancer. And Dr. Bill. What? <laughs> Well, I'm sorry for Mr. Chan's 
having to fight cancer. And I mean that honestly, because I've, I've had relatives pass away from that and, and some survive from it. So. And as everybody knows, I am a, uh, a very big advocate for cancer research and all. So, yeah, nobody, nobody wants to make light of that. No. We try to have a little fun on the show, but certainly it's no laughing matter that the man died. Uh, you know, that, that's, not me- we, that's not what we mean. So before you send any hate mail, just make sure it's directed only to Bill. Ernie Chan, make fat Dr. Bill cry. <laughs> Poor Ernie Chan. Oh, I still think it's funny. He drew Jonah Hex. Yes, he did. Six through nine. He drew a lot of shit, man. I mean, he was yeah. very prolific. I, I was actually looking at his, his work last time. No, I'm Filipino. Not... <laughs> Get it right. Well, you know... <laughs> There's, there's nothing wrong with us having our own little Ernie Chan character who isn't really, really in any relation to the actual Ernie Chan. For the just for the purposes of the show. Yeah, his survivors are gonna love this shit. <laughs> I'm sure they all listen. <laughs> they will be now. They'll be the, listening the Ernie, with legal the, pads. The, the, the Ernie Chan cl- Chan clan are all. Uh, they're, they're all gathered around their iPod, <laughs> listening to us every week. What the hell cartoon was it that used to have the Chan clan? Charlie Chan and the Chan Charlie clan. Chan. Charlie Chan. Charlie Chan. Charlie Chan. you number one son. It was, it was, that was also incredibly <laughs> politically incorrect. If I remember correctly, in the movies, the guy that played Charlie Chan wasn't even Chinese. Right. Or he Asian. even Asian. Or Asian. And then it was Kyle Luke. Or a man. Played, <laughs> Kyle Luke played um, number one son, didn't he? I don't know. I've never. I, I did watch the cartoon as a kid, but I've never watched any of the movies. I'm thinking of the cartoon because didn't they have a, a? They had a vehicle that could change into like any any shape vehicle, right? It could be like a van or a sports car or something like that. What the hell show am I thinking of? Am I thinking of the right show? Oh, I've lost you guys completely on this. I don't know. I'm I'm, 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 I'm looking it up as as we're talking about it. What? I said I'm, you hired too many egg roll. <laughs> the hell was in these egg rolls anyway no i'm serious there was i, I i'm oh man it is, it's really like testing the, the edges of my memory here because it wasn't one that i watched regularly but i remember it being a, there was a bunch of little asian kids and they had this van that could transform and it could basically become other other kinds of vehicles like basically it, 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 it was co- it was called the amazing chan and the chan clan yeah a 30 minute saturday morning animated series by hanna barbera and let's see who did the voices. Yeah, and they had didn't they have a transforming vehicle? Uh, I'm 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 a looking I'm a looking. Oh my God! Yeah, you know what? The voice of Mr. I Chan, Key Luke, is the only in actor political of political correctness. I am looking at this, going, "Holy shit!" Here's the intro opening I just found. I swear they had a they had a van or or some kind of a vehicle. Oh, I remember this now. Yeah, here it is. They traveled in the Chan van. Oh my God. <laughs> created by Chan's fourth son, Alan. The mechanical genius of the family, which could be transformed into other vehicles. And see, I was thinking, am I confusing this with Hong Kong Fui? And this says, much like Hong Kong Fui's Fui mobile with the push of a button. So see, I, I did remember this shit right. There's the, there, there, there's the wow. link, Scott. There's the link with the intro, and it has the amazing changing vehicle in it too. As you know, as as embarrassingly racist as this is, not one of them has 
a stereotypical Asian first name. They're all, it's Charlie, Henry, Stanley, Susie, Alan, Ann, Tom. Well, Flip. I don't know where they all so you had get. Stan Chan? <laughs> Flip Chan? How about oh, he, Dan? Must be the black one. Nancy, Mimi, and Scooter? What? And they were in a band. The Chan Clan of the band. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. They're in a band. Oh my god, I want to and find And they're whispering, this. the amazing Chan and the Chan I wonder if my, my buddy Tor has these, because I would love to watch this shit again and just laugh my ass off. I do, I do. Oh, okay. That's I it. I'm going to start the Chan Clan podcast right now. See, <laughs> I'm going to have to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wow. So you had Stan Chan, and you also had Ann Chan. Key, and Choo Choo was Luke, the dog. Key, Luke was, was Charlie Chan. What was the name Robert of the dog? Choo Choo. Choo Choo. Choo Choo Chan. <laughs> and Choo Choo can howl like a police car siren whenever the kids in the Chan van need to get places very fast. I would love to know what the what the ratio split is between people that are going, what, what the hell are they on about? And people going, holy shit, I remember this show. Well, just add the third group of the people who are saying, oh, my God, I'm never going to listen to these people again. You're right. You <laughs> racist son of bitches. Oh, my God. I, I, I haven't thought. What is wrong with that dog? That's a dog? It's got mange, the hiv. What the hell? That it looks like it's like. It looks like a cat dog. Well, it, lo it looks it's like, like a cat head. Captain Caveman. Yes. Playing a it looks cat. like Captain Caveman on all fours with a cat face. Yep. That's just disturbing. Captain Cat Chan. I remember. I remember thinking that the girl was hot. Wasn't she like the mechanic or something? Yeah, the pretty girly girl of the. Oh no, that's not the one. It's the, the girl other. Girl was hot. What was her name? Yeah, I used to think she was. She was. Uh, well, there's. Let me see. There's huge. one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, the tomboy one. Anne. Ten. Anne. Anne Chan. The one with the with the ball cap. Yeah, voiced by Jodie Foster. <laughs> really? Uh, wow. She was voiced by Jodie Foster? And she was a tomboy. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely remember this show. Not a lot of other names that I recognize in the voice actors, though. This is a Hanna-Barbera, right? Yeah. That's funny. But they, it's, they, they have three Barbera lists. They have voice it. cast, then they have original voice cast, and then redubbed voice cast. And Jodie Foster is <laughs> in that group. Yep. Because the original Anne Chan was Leslie Kumamato. Is this Jodie Foster the the actress Jodie Foster? Yes. 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 Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. And she was Pugsley on uh, on the Adams Family. Jodie Foster I never, was. Uh, yeah, I never knew that before. What? What? Yeah, on the on the Adams Family animated series, she oh, was. Oh, 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 oh! I was like, I thought you meant on on the. the okay, never mind. She was the original Capitone girl with the butt, with the, the really? dogs pulling the baby. No, suit. she wasn't. Yeah, she was. Uh oh, she most certainly was. I think that's a that's a rumor. I don't believe so. Is she really? I don't know if she was the original. No, the original actually goes back before, but she was in a commercial as the Capitone girl. Huh. Okay. Oh, they only had one season? Oh. Really? Because oh. it sounds like such a, such they a had, winner. They had 16 <laughs> episodes. Aww. The Crown, Jewel, the Crown Jewel Caper. The Did Crown they ever Jewels come up with Scooby-Doo? 
Uh, let me look. To catch a pitcher. Well, that's kind of suggestive. Will the real Charlie Chan please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Oh. Now, what I don't understand is when they when they had the World of Hanna Barbera ride at Universal, I don't remember seeing the Chan Clan in there. <laughs> really? Because I thought they were the, the, the featured artists. <laughs> the Phantom Sea Thief, Eye of the Idol, Fat Lady Caper. Well, that's just not nice at all. Captain Kids Doubloons. There's such suggestive titles here. Bronze <laughs> Idol. Come on, man. Double Trouble. The Great Illusion Caper. The Mummy's Tomb, the Mardi Gras caper, the Gypsy caper. The I'm Greek guessing you can see whole episodes of this just on YouTube. I don't even think you have to visit with your friend Tor. White Elephant, and to round out the first season and only season, Scotland Yard. Scotland. Oh, Charlie Chan, how you doing? <laughs> oh, Honorable Scotland Yard, we here to find your jewels. Oh, my Lord. Okay, is it time to talk about something comic book related or what? A callback to the first episode, the crown jewel caper. I guess. Flip Chan. You know this is going to be a mess to edit, right? (laughs) (laughs) You can just make this after credit stuff. No, no, it'll be before the... It'll be at the beginning of the episode, but I'm going to just have to try and just clean it up a touch. Well, and by that I mean take out anything offensive I may have said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to hell with us, right? To hell with you. To hell with you. Well, if we take out the offensive things you said, then it's not funny. Oh, I just didn't say anything the, that was offensive and funny at the same time. The chance appear in, in an episode of Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, as a Japanese band called Suyuini, who's... <laughs> Really? <laughs> who sued another band, the Neptunes, from the Jabberjaw animated series for plagiarism. Suyuini, with Mr. Chan as their semi-tyrannical band manager, Suyuini only speak Japanese even though they are Chinese. <laughs> oh, uh, in, epi- in episodes from Crypto the Superdog, including Up, Up, and Away, Mimi Chan is in Kevin's class on the tr- field trip to LexCorp. And Susie Chan appears in Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated as a student at the high school. There was See, a comic. They're not, they're not there was not. a comic book. Gold Key Comics produced a comic series based on the program with artwork by Warren Tufts. Tufts. It only lasted four issues. <laughs> I have got to find that. Yeah, you let me know if you find that comic because we'll cover it. Here it is, right here. Yep. I'm seeing a cover. It looks like they're about to beat a white guy with a baseball bat. In this issue, to catch a pitcher. Wow. All right. All right. I think we've we've exhausted our pre-comic book talk. <laughs> Something new lows, you mean? Yes. Yes, I think we have. <laughs> of course, once it's edited to make it unoffensive, it'll probably be about 30 seconds long. Oh, Nah, screw it. Let it be offensive. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Up for the other team. <laughs> <laughs> and interjections. That's right. It's right back to where we started. So, uh, Scott, you have our Marvel today. <gasps> I do, don't I? 
We are actually a uh, fair and balanced podcast this uh, this particular episode because we got one of each. Well, what, which which independent do we have? <laughs> oh. Yeah, right. We got Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan. The music <laughs> Chan and the Chan. That was our independent. So, for my book, I picked one that's that we were kind of sort of talking about recently just a little bit, and it got me curious about it because I knew I had it in my collection, so I dug it out. They're back, back, says on the cover. It says, because you demanded it, Black <laughs> Bolt and his comrades in combat battle Blastar, the living bomb, and my whip-to-shit copy of The Inhumans, number one. This is really a rough, rough copy. I might have to take a picture of this and post it up on our Facebook group so people can see what I'm talking about. But yeah, it is beat to hell and back. But uh, it was still, uh, it was still able to be read. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I saw what you posted on Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> Charlie Chan dated, and the Chan Clan. <laughs> cover dated October 1975. It was actually on sale July 15th, which gets me to thinking. Wow. Tomorrow is July 15th. So tomorrow this book will be 41 years old. Wow, that's just amazing. Uh, cover price on it was 25 cents. Cover was by Gil Kane and Frank Giacoya. It depicts, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a jumble, but it's kind of neat. It's, you have uh, Medusa and a couple of the other Inhumans are on this flying sky cycle sled thing and Blastar's knocking them out of the sky as Black Bolt comes streaking down at him. Uh, it's, it's actually a pretty cool cover. Uh, the name of the story is Spawn of Alien Heat, which sounds filthy. Uh, was written by Doug Mensch with pencils by relative newcomer George Perez and inks by Frank Cheramonte. Uh, it was letter lettered and colored by other people. After a magnificent opening title splash page that introduces us to our cast of heroes, we have Triton, the amphibian, Medusa of the Scarlet Tresses with her uncanny ability to make them obey her will. Karnak, who I always want to call Craniac for some reason, I don't know why. Karnak the Shatterer, who I just realized has the same superpower as Mace Windu, the ability to, de to detect the exact fracture point of any object and then break it, which is actually kind of cool. And fall out of windows. Or And fall out of windows. <laughs> Gorgon, he of the hoofed feet, and noble, silent, black bolts, leader of the Inhumans. So as our story starts, the five of them stand at a balcony, appreciating the beautiful day and keeping watch over their home, the city of Adelan, where a pair of, or excuse me, when rather, a pair of centaurs run in and report that Black Bolt's mad brother Maximus has gone really bonkers down in his cell beneath the city. When they arrive, Maxi Maximus is raving about something called the Somnotherm, and the captoroids, henceforth ever to be known here on Back to the Bins as the craptoids, because it's too hard to pronounce the other way, and it's funnier this way. Black Bolt uh, gives him a calming mind whammy to shut him up and calm him down, maximum I'm speaking of. The guards remark on what a merciful leader Black Bolt is to have quieted his brother's mind and granted him peace, but Medusa wonders uh, what Maximus was on about in the first place. Craniac, however, 
dismisses uh, Maximus's words as the rantings of a lunatic, and Black Bolt seems to agree. Meanwhile, out in space, a mysterious object streaks toward the Earth. Later in his royal court, Black Bolt hears from one of his subjects, an old hag named Iridia, who begs her monarch to grant her access to the Terrigen Mist in hopes that it will cure her lifelong affliction, hideousness. This offends Gorgon, who gives the old woman what for, but Black Bolt intervenes and then he just simply points her toward a secret chamber. Meanwhile, the mysterious space object plunges into the depths of the Atlantic and hits an adamantium ball that was resting on the ocean floor, releasing Blastar, who had been imprisoned there by the Hulk and the Human Torch way back in Marvel Team-Up number 18. See, believe it or not, kids, Spider-Man wasn't in every issue of Marvel Team-Up. Anyway, somehow, possessing knowledge of his liberators and agreeing to do their bidding, Blastar blasts out of the ocean depths and heads for Adelan. In the secret chamber, Black Bolt exposes Iridia to the mists. Meanwhile, Blastar, on his way, for, uh, way over to them for a visit, takes out a sentry that looks a lot like Sauron mixed with, uh, an, with angel's wings, basically. And on the outskirts of Adelan, uh, this all takes place, he, he knocks the guard out. Back in the secret chamber, the mists clear, and Iridia is gone, is, uh, is gone after the mists go away leaving behind something that looks a lot like a cross between Adam Warlock's cocoon and a big dog turd. Suddenly, a huge Kirby machine comes poking out of the floor. What is it? Where does it come from? Black Bolt chooses Triton to accompany him on a swim underneath the city to find out. While they investigate, Lioness, yeah, that's really his name, because he looks like a lion, you know, you get it. Uh, the sentry arrives with his injured comrade to report that someone powerful is approaching. Now, what I want to know is how in the hell did they beat Blastar into town? But anyway, Gorgon wastes time being a dick, and then Blastar arrives and gets the drop on all of them. They chase each other around for a while, and eventually the issue ends with Craniac, Gordon... Uh, yeah, I wrote Gordon instead of Gorgon. <laughs> Gordon, yeah, that works too. And Medusa being taken out while Blastar says the Inhumans will serve his new masters or suffer the same fate as these three death. Next issue, The Star Slaves. And that's Inhumans number one. What'd you think? I liked it. I liked it a whole lot. It's kind of cool because I know you've resisted it a whole lot. I have resisted it for many years. And I will be honest with you that until my recent interest in... Marvel Cosmic that that spins out of uh, Annihilation, I probably wouldn't have thought a hell of a lot of it. I probably would have been, you know, I, I probably if I did suffer through the whole thing, be like, nah, whatever. But now, having come to care about these characters and then looking back at this, it it, it has given me a, a new appreciation for them. So it was interesting. Um, I think part of my problem with the uh, the Inhumans was honestly i think part of it was always the look of them black Bolt looks awesome the other characters not so much so in recent days in marvel you know recent times they've kind of updated their look a little bit and made them look cooler you know craniac doesn't look the same way he does uh in these issues here gorgon uh, gorgon looks a little bit different medusa has become really really smoking hot isn't uh, karnak dead now is he? He was dead, yeah. then he's alive again. I, I'm oh, he not got sure. shot I'm pretty sure he's alive already. 
Yeah, there was something uh, recently. Yeah, got... you're right. I forgot. But about I wonder that. if that he, was... he was definitely killed off, but I'm pretty sure he's back already. Yeah, I think that was pre the whole change of everything, the pre Secret War two. Tis but a flesh wound. Um, but no, I did. I really enjoyed it. One of the things, of course, that really helped me enjoy it was, you know, it is George Perez. Plus, I uh, I don't I don't want to slight Doug Mensch. I really like Doug Mensch. Doug Mensch is uh, actually one of my favorite comics writers. He he's uh, a Mensch. Yeah, he was writing Batman when I uh, when I really got into Batman as a kid, and I've always uh, had a real soft you know, soft spot for Doug Mensch stuff. And so, I mean, this is solid. It's it's well written. There's a lot of action. Um, the art is very good, although you know it is very obvious that uh, you know while it is George Perez, this is most definitely like George Perez just starting out. So it's it's rough. Yeah, it's but is he being stiff. overwhelmed by by um, Mr. Cheramonte? I think I think if you look yeah. carefully, you'll see that the inking is inconsistent on it. Oh yeah, not so much the artwork as the inking, because like if you go, the first few pages look awesome. Then when you get to the flashback with Blastar and the Hulk, all of a sudden it looks not so good. Right. Those flashback panels, some of them look terrible, especially the one of the Hulk kind of jumping in the air and hitting Blastar <laughs> right. over the head with the yeah. metal. Yeah. That that's... looks like a child drew it. Right. Then, uh, then it goes back to looking good again until you get towards the very end. And the last page in particular, I thought, I thought the line work got very thick, and I think it looks rushed. I think he may have been under a time deadline by the time he got to the end of the book because the last page does not look good. Well, I just, I see it very much as, you know, uh, uh, the, you know the, the new guy, you know, the, the fresh new guy coming in um, and this is just kind of how it, it looks, you know, with him starting out. Because I can remember when, uh, when I took art in high school there was a, a kid, he was actually, believe it or not, he was actually the son of the guy, of the old guy that Chris Honeywell and I used to buy our comics from. Uh, you know, that he, he, you know, there was this guy named Walt um, that had a large comic book collection. And we had learned of this guy from uh, the local librarian because she used to get tired of us coming in there and we, would, we were constantly like signing the, the comics out and stuff. But then a lot of times what I would do is if I if I signed out a comic from the library that I really liked, then I would keep it and I'd return one of my own that I didn't like, thinking, ah, they'll never know. It's just comic books. But she was on to us. So one day she was like, you know, if you guys like comic books so much, you need to go and talk to Walt down at the end of the street. So we did. And we got to be friends with him. And he had this huge comic book collection and everything. So that's where we got access to a lot of uh, older comics. Because you got to remember, there wasn't any comic shops then. So anyway, his son... Uh, Chris was a year or two ahead of us in high school. But I can remember when I took art in high school, he was in one of the classes and something of a teacher's pet. So all the rest of us were learning, you know, very, you know, basic things about art and how to draw and, you know, what perspective was and all this. Here's Chris, the older kid, sitting off in a corner of the room and working on his own art and everything. And one of the things he was always working with was uh, an actual, um, you know, comic art page, you know, whatever they call those, I forget what those are called, and, and actually doing his own comics. And I remember, you know, striking up conversations with him and going over and watching him work and everything. And a lot of his work was a lot like this. 
you know, where it was, it was nice, it was well designed, it was well laid out, but you could also see where it was just, it was somebody just starting out. And so, you know, while it looked good and it was dynamic, it was also a little, a little stiff, a little lifeless, if you know what I mean. And I see that in a lot of this stuff with, with Perez here is that this is Perez, you know, at the beginning of his career, kind of learning his craft. And so while it is, it is beautiful and it's dynamic, it's not what we, we would see later from Perez when he really, you know, hones his craft and, and things really look uh, more realistic and more dynamic and more fluid. Um, you know, for example, you know, you look at page 18 after the, uh, the Terrigen Mist die away and we see that cocoon looking thing, that fourth panel where, where all the other Inhumans are turning and looking at Black Bolt. I mean, that is just, it's super awkward looking. It, it's just, it's very posed. You know what I mean? There, there's not any fluidity or realism to it. Everybody's just kind of, you know, strike a pose type of thing. So that, that's what I mean by that. But, but still good. I mean, it was enough to keep me reading and, and turning the pages. And it, it's interesting because now, of course, I know who all the characters are. Um, and I really like Maximus, so it was cool to see Maximus pop up in this as well. So, but yeah, I, I liked it. I'm now I'm curious, you know, where the story goes and, and you know what else happens with this. Uh, I know that I, I have seen issues of this in the cheap bins for years and resisted buying them. So now, if I uh, if I see them anytime soon, I uh, I'll actually go ahead and snap them up. Because right now, the only ones I have, I have this and I have the last issue where I think they fight the Hulk in the last one. I can't yep. remember if that one is a Perez issue or not. I want to say it is not. No. No, Perez is only the, I think, the first four. Oh, okay. Then Gil Kane came in. And then after Kane, I'm not sure. I, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say definitely, I'm pretty confident that number five was Gil Kane. Hmm. So the... Uh the the panel after where um lion lion what lioness leonis leonis and uh the sauron angel guy come flying in on a little aircraft thing uh-huh and then you've got you've got them talking to medusa then the one where karnak and gorgon are standing there is gorgon doing an uncle sam thing the inhumans want you <laughs> Plus, it's kind of an unnatural position for his for his wrist and everything. You know, he's got I mean? a big nose. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I think he does. <laughs> you know what I mean about it look, looking a little, a well, little it, stiff, a little you a know, little bit. But I don't, I don't. I'm not that bothered by it. I think, uh, I think, you're seeing a lesser quality than I am. Maybe he's pointing at Karnak's head. Like I said, Look at his I'm, head. I'm, most of my Huge. problems are with the inking lines. I think some of them are a little, just a little thick, and and not allowing for some of the detail that I'd like. Right. But uh, on a whole, you know, I, I think the artwork is, it's not it's not Perez's best work. I don't want to no. make it sound like that, but I don't think it's a, a huge drop off from that either. Uh, it's just, it seems a little in, inconsistent from what we'll see later and and again it could be the anchor kind of muddling it up a little yeah but we got Blastar Mr. Bombastic Mr. Bombastic <laughs> Mr. Blastar Blastar Lova Lova um 
that's all I've got. Did you guys have anything else on this? I had picked this one up on the newsstand as I. Have what happens to the ugly lady? What happens to her? Uh, that thing that looks like Warlock's ca- cocoon. That's not going to become her. No, it's a, her it's a cocoon. <laughs> she, right, but... she's she's in there, and when she uh, when she emerges, she has butterfly wings, and oh, she's a beautiful okay. young woman. So she's not her. That was created by um, somebody else. Did Adam Warlock create her? I know it was an no, eight the, the same scientists. The same scientists that uh, created him created her. Gotcha. The hive. Like, then they created us and them, and this and that. Well, they they. Uh, they did, I think they did three. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what the third one was called. It was something like Paragon or something like that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was him, then there was Is her, the and High then I think it was Paragon. No, it wasn't the High Evolutionary. It no, was, the High, yeah, high Evolutionary was, didn't create Adam Warlock. Because that was in Thor, wasn't it? What? It was in the, no, it was in the Fantastic or, Four. Oh, it was in Fantastic Four, that's right. They created him in the Fantastic Four. They created her, I think, in Marvel 2 and 1. And they created, again, I think it was Paragon was the name. That was in a Hulk annual. Hmm. Look at the big brain on me. Or her is going to be in the next Guardians movie. Yeah, so I heard. <laughs> which which has got to make you think Adam Warlock has to be in there. Well, maybe that's what was in that cocoon. What's in the cocoon? <laughs> but that, they were created by the, the group of scientists. I think they were called the Enclave. Enclave. And they were within the hive. I got you. Not to be confused with the Enclave in the Fallout game series. Just, just want to point that out. But it does like the the scene with the the old hag going into the thing, really does seem especially cruel. She's just asking to not be ugly, and it's it, you know it appears that he like transformed her into a giant turd. <laughs> Aha! Justice, Black Bolt, justice, bitch. Oh, sorry. And while, you know, you talked about the shot of them all kind of turning to him. And and while they're doing that, he's just standing there with his arms folded. Not, you right. know, it's, he can't speak, but I assume he's like, always able to communicate. He's saying, and he just chooses not to. Should Refusing wear a, us even a sign. should like, wear see, a notebook and a pencil around his neck. <laughs> or, or a, uh, like a little, little chalkboard. Right. <laughs> He just wipes it off with his hand. I'm just looking, Food. looking Feed through the, uh, the page where the, the big thing comes up through the floor. Right. The last panel on that page, Triton's face looks especially amateurish. Right. That that I have to... I just noticed that that, that thing that comes up through the floor has a receptacle tip on the end of it, too. It's, and, it's, res- it, and it's res- ribbed for her pleasure. Reservoir, not receptacle tip. What, are you going to electrocute somebody with that? Reservoir tip. Jesus. What kind of machines are you using? <laughs> Rib for her pleasure. It's got a corkscrew on the bottom of it for guys. Yeah, it does. That's going to hurt. I'm not sure whose pleasure that's for. <laughs> you flip that thing over, you got a party. Whoa. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, oh. I just, now I just picture Black Bowl with the little black... Like he can't spell, so he has to draw pictures. <laughs> that it's panel on page thirty of <laughs> of uh, Medusa getting yanked off the sled by her hair does that not remind you of that issue at DC Comics Presents with Superman and the Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen? Because that really reminds me of that. 
with ambush bug. You guys know what I'm talking about? Not offhand, I don't. Yeah, it uh, it really does remind me of that. Well, that's all I got on this one. I'm I'm ready to grade. If you guys are ready to grade, go ahead. Why don't you? All right. So I will start with the cover. I love me some Gil Kane, but this isn't a very well designed cover. I don't think just because it's it's kind of busy. It's kind of a mishmash. It's crazy. Know, yeah, you got bodies falling all over the place and everything. It's just it's kind of weird looking. Um, so, and and plus. If I didn't know anything about the Inhumans, which I really don't know anything about the Inhumans, or I, I, at least I didn't, you know, for the longest time, I don't know that this would necessarily make me uh, want to snap it up off the, the stands or but anything. But you got an A-villain like Blastar to pull you in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it would be B for Blastar. I think I'm going to go a C- minus on the cover, just because there's nothing wrong with the, the art itself, you think if it was really? a different, if the background was a different color, it'd make you think yeah, a little different? That'd probably help too. Yeah, piss yellow doesn't really work as a background. It, it just doesn't really give me any idea. Like, oh, like what what's going on here? What's the story? What's happening here? This is actually like a moment from the story, as opposed to anything giving me a clue. What is the story? Who are the characters? Who's the hero? Who's the bad guy? It, it just doesn't really. It's just a mash piece, you know. Oh, what I mean? No, I, I got to. I got to disagree with you there. I think it's pretty easy to tell who the villain is and who the hero is. Eh. I, I think the guy who's shooting at the people falling from the sky is pretty clearly the villain, and the guy who's swooping down to try and stop him is our hero. Yeah. I, I don't think that's that hard to to figure out. All right, I'll give you that, but. Again, it's it's just it's the way it's it's the way it's designed, I guess. That that just kind of bugs me. It, you know, the way that Black Bolt's swooping in, you're not really getting a, a clear shot of Black Bolt's. Uh, you're not really getting a clear shot of any of the Inhumans. They're just kind of tumbling. You know what I mean? They're all tum tumbling down, and then Black Bolt's kind of flying in at a weird angle to you know presumably tackle uh blast well, the way up. his little speed line things it's like he was standing on the on the cart with him and then he he flew off and you see where he like jumped off and flew around in a big right circle, you know right that's kind of weird you know it's like yeah so I, I just i don't think it's a very well designed cover unfortunately and it pains me to say that because again i really do um like gil Keane. i'm actually a gil Keane fan so i don't know i, I think i'll go with c minus on the cover i think it, it could really stand a you know, to be, you know, just have the characters shuffled around into different positions than they are. Maybe have uh, the other Inhumans still being blasted out of the sky or whatever, but have Black Bolt, like, standing there toe-to-toe -to -toe with Blastar, you know, and they're duking it out or something like that. But it's just the weird angle he's flying down at. Just kind of bugs me somehow. Uh, the interior art. Love me some George Perez. I really do enjoy this. I suspect you guys are right that a lot of the... Uh, the problems that I have with the R are due to the inker. I don't think that Sheramonte is necessarily doing Perez any favors. As a matter of fact, I suspect what he may have been doing was actually maybe curbing some of uh, Perez's natural uh, inclinations in his own art, you know, his style, and, and maybe trying to make it a little more uh, homogenized Marvel House style. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, it kind of gives me that. The, that impression with some of the different faces and some of the different panels and everything but still 
you know, Perez shines through in a lot of the stuff in here, and it does look very good. It's just that it's early Perez, and it's, you know, it's still a little bit rough. So on the art itself, I think I would go a C plus. There's a lot of room for improvement, but I really do enjoy it. And then on the story, um, I think I'd go a straight up A on the story. I really, I was digging it. I like what it was, uh, you know, the direction it seemed to be heading in. It was intriguing. It had me interested. It was, uh, it interests me enough that now I want to read the next issue to see where does this all go. And I like that Mensch strikes a, ni a nice balance between writing and giving us something to read but not going the Roy Thomas route where it's just it, it's too much it, it he's he strikes a really perfect balance here between you know the the visual narrative and the written word and I really like that so he he actually has a handle on that better than a lot of uh his contemporaries working in comics at the same time I think and he did a really nice job right there on that opening splash of kind of introducing you to all the characters so that if you didn't know who these people were, you kind of got a crash course right out of the gate in, okay, who are they? What's their deal? You know, what's the the, the team dynamic here, so to speak? And uh, and I liked it. I thought it was, it was interesting. So, yeah. Uh, overall grade, I would say probably a, uh, like a B minus. I liked it. I liked it more than I thought that I would. All right. I did a quick check because I was curious because um, this was in 19 says this was October 1975 um, the Korvac saga with Perez and Austin would be to be started at the beginning of 1978 so we're talking like two and a half like less you know just a little over two years later and there's a big difference between that and this and one of the big differences is the anchor mm -hmm. so yeah, that's my two cents why don't you do your ratings um yeah I think maybe something besides yellow for the background might have pumped this up a little bit more um they're all kind of I mean I guess that that sled really took a wallop from Blastar because they're just like all over the place tumbling out of it it's been, I don't know if I'd give it a... What did you give it, Scott? C minus. C minus? Uh, I think I'd give it a, at least a C plus. Maybe a, a, a B minus if it had a different color choice for the instead of the yellow. Um, maybe like a light blue or something. Maybe a, mush, a fuchsia or a mauve. You know, something Chartreuse. like that. Chartreuse. Yeah. Um, Perhaps parsimony. Hmm. Maybe. The interior art is up and down with stuff, you know, some that looks like, like the first couple pages look very Perezian, if that's a word. <laughs> or you, you could see the George Perez here that will come to know and love. Um, but then like you guys had said towards the end of the book it seems to get kind of muddled and and lost like either somebody you know either George was in a hurry or the inker was in a hurry not really sure so I think that kind of even with it being Perez I, I could still only give it like a C plus B minus and the story's eh, interesting Black Bolt's 
a dick, but he's always a dick. Sometimes, you know, of course, you know, if you can't just speak and you just have to pose a lot or, you know, infer by your actions what you're, you know. Because can he only talk to Medusa? I don't think he can talk to all of them directly. He can't talk to anybody. I thought he had some type of psychic link with Medusa at one point. He can communicate with her somehow, let her know what he's thinking, but he can't speak. Was he like, like, wink and like throw his head over like, eh? Uh, I I don't uh. know exactly how they go about it, but like a lot of times like he'll gesture to her. He'll gesture to her and then she'll say, what our leader is saying is blah, 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 blah. Black Belt's a texting fool. (laughs) And he's looking for Pokemon. He's he's looking for Pokemon in uh, Adelan. (laughs) <laughs> You're <It's> like, a dork. <laughs> then, then, he, then he yells out, I found Ernie Chan! Oh my god, I destroyed the city. Yeah. It turns out he's an inhuman. <laughs> he's, now, he's, now he's dead because he ruptured him when he screamed at him. Ah, you're killing me, Black Bull! <laughs> That's so. the, the, the cocoon opens up and Ernie Chan comes out. <laughs> With butterfly wings. <laughs> Ah, that would take a fly away. <laughs> to hell with you. I'm out of here. <laughs> so this story, I'm going to give the story a B. So I'll give the book overall, I'll give it a B minus. All right. Um, I like the cover generally. I think I'd feel a lot better about this cover if it was the cover issue number two instead of issue number one. Issue number one, I want to cover that's a little bit more, for lack of, uh, no, no pun intended, but a little bit more bombastic. Um, <laughs> I don't mind the weird angle. I like the fact that it's showing us something from the book. The yellow doesn't even bother me, but again, the fact that it's in issue number one, I expect something a little bit more... I, I, you know, I complain about poster images. I guess I'm inconsistent, because I complain about poster images, but for a number one issue, I want more of a poster image. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, but as far as execution of this one, I kind of like it. You know, again, if it was issue number two, I think I'd feel more comfortable. So for the cover, I'm going to say a B minus. I like it. It's not great, but I like it. I think it's, I still feel like it's better than average. Below average, Gil Kane is better than average for other people. Same holds true as far as I'm concerned for uh, basically anything by George Perez. Uh, There are some inconsistencies in it. I think some of it is the inking. I do think that one shot I pointed out with the Hulk kind of jumping and hitting Blastar with the metal at the same time just looks so badly posed that I can't put it on the inker. So... It's not Perez at his best, and, you know, as, as you pointed out, Scott, I guess there's some growing pains involved here. You know, right. he's, he's a young artist at this point, and he's learning his trade. Right. But you see the, you could see the seeds of greatness in some of this stuff, just the same. So discounting it for the stuff that's below par, but giving credit for the stuff that's better than average, or, or much better than average, in fact, I'm going to also say a B-minus for the... Uh, for the interior art and I agree with you Scott as an A for the story I think it's it's a very enjoyable story there's a lot going on it, it, it's paced briskly it moves along and, and you you know you can really follow what's going on and it also leads us not to do too much spoiling but it leads us to bigger things 
because I believe this is where they originated the whole concept of the inhumans being seeded by the Kree that eventually ah. comes to pass. I think this storyline and this, this, this series is what establishes that. So, you know, there's, there's big things going on here. So I'm going to say an A on the story, and I'm going to give it overall an average of a B for the book. Nice. I think we uh, basically arrived about the same place, just slightly different means. Yep. And not even all that different. I mean, for the most part, I don't think we were that inconsistent. But a uh, good choice, good book. Thanks. We've we've been we've been dancing around that one for quite a while before I finally got time to bring it in. <laughs> so, I brought to the table from uh, what data we got here. Where are we? According to Mike's Amazing World, March of 1978, and on sale December 20th, 1977, Secret Society of Supervillains number 13, with a cover price of 35 cents. I think you need to say that with a lisp. Secret Society? That's not really a lisp. That's Secret a lisp. Society. That's a slur. Maybe but, uh, Sylvester the Cat should read this book. And if you'll recall, Scott, I picked this book up at one of the stores we were at while uh, while you were in town. In fact, you found it for me and handed it to me. <laughs> and the cover, which I... I flicked a booger in it. Did you find it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I did. It was That was lunch. <laughs> I picked this just for you. The cover by Mr. Rich Buckler and inked by Bob McCloud is pretty cool. Shows uh, Captain Caveman, I mean Captain Comet. Oh, I uh, like Captain Comet. Don't don't give Captain Comet a hard time. And he's he's standing there in awe and looking like he's about to soil his pants <laughs> as uh, Johnny Quick, Superwoman, and Power Ring from the uh, crime syndicate are heading towards him. At the same time, behind them are Wizard, Reverse Flash, and the uh, the Star Sapphire coming at him as well. So he's about to just basically get his get himself uh, whipped to shit like your book. <laughs> so the story opens up, and there's a we st- well actually I should hit on the team. It's j- written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Mike Vosberg, inked by Bob Smith. Letters by Adam Kubert, who eventually went on to become an artist in his own right. Yeah, I was noticing uh, that too. Colors by Cornelia Adams. That was before she was on Planet of the Apes. <laughs> and edited by Jack C. Harris. And the first thing that jumps out at me is the contrast in the artwork between the cover and inside the book. It's just, it's, it's really stark. But uh, the story opens up with there's a portal where the uh, secret society are heading from Earth 1 to Earth 2. And Captain Comet is jumping through the portal before it closes. Which leads us to a two-page splash where Star Sapphire, Professor Zoom, the Wizard, the Hulk, and Groot are all traveling (laughs) through the dimensions. And then there's some sort of a uh, disruption that causes them not to go to Earth 2 as they planned, but to Earth 3. And as they do so, you can see there's some shadowy figures who are torn free of something or other. Anyway, our uh, villains land on Earth 3 and immediately come to the realization that they're not being recognized by the masses and know that something's going on. As they ponder this question, the three members of the crime syndicate, Power Ring, 
Johnny Quick and Superwoman all burst towards them and they all confront each other and the battle starts and the, the, the I guess the secret society kind of gets the upper hand and while they have the upper hand they decide to just take off they, they make like a tree and get out of it <laughs> meanwhile Captain Comet is finally finding his way through and he comes onto Earth 3 where people immediately assume he's a villain because all superpowered people are villains there he makes his way out of there and does a little research and finds out about the crime syndicate. At that point, we join the wizard who's also doing his own research, and he comes to the conclusion that they're on a third Earth and that they need some talisman in order to get back to Earth 2 as they'd like to. So with that, Groot attacks Johnny Quick and beats him pretty quickly by just having a tree grab his feet. And then uh, Reverse Flash beats Power Ring equally quickly by just coming up behind them and beating them, beating on him. And <laughs> Superwoman gets beaten up by the Hulk. So they, they take uh, Superwoman's lasso, Johnny Quick's helmet, which apparently is, is where he derives his speed, which I did not realize, and Power Ring's Power Ring. And they use those to take off from Earth 3 and head over to Earth 2. Just as they disappear, Captain Comet makes his way into the uh, lair that they were using, and he's immediately confronted by the three really, really pissed off members of the crime syndicate. And that's where this issue ends. <laughs> I didn't remember that either about Johnny Quick getting his uh, powers from the helmet. But and now, so see, they're, they're, they're approaching Captain Comet, and Johnny Quick doesn't have his helmet, so he doesn't have his speed. Power Ring doesn't have his ring, so he doesn't have his powers, period. So the only one he needs to be concerned about at all is Superwoman. Right. I mean, am I, am I mistaken there? Is, am I missing something about this story? Now, Captain well, Comet was from our Earth, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a, okay. an interesting character because he was created in the 1950s. Right. He, he kind of came between the Golden Age and the Silver Age. And had... According to this, he was in uh, Strange Adventures. He, he was in about, I think, about 30 stories or so before he was kind of put put to rest and then he was revived by uh, by Jerry Conway in this series. Well, I think, if I remember properly, the continuity when they brought him back was that he'd gone off to space um, and wandered around you know the stars for a time or something and then he came back to earth and this this is all in secret society number one he comes back to earth and he's like wow things have changed and uh he's kind of trying to get himself up to speed when somehow or other he just kind of stumbled into becoming the 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 main um enemy of the secret society so he was there pretty much right from the get-go I and think, if, if my memory is right, I think he's not in the first issue. I think he's in the second. Oh, is it the second one? Could, yeah. I could be wrong about that, but that's no, my you're, memory. You're, you're probably right. It's been a while since I've read it. As much as I really enjoy that book, my, my, I, my memories of it are, are not the greatest because it's been a while since I've read it. See, I know I've seen some – I have either have or read some Captain Comet. And I want to say it's, it was something in the 80s. I don't remember if it was pre or post-crisis – well, I think after this series probably, ended, he was kind of put put back in mothballs for a while, and then I think right around the time of Crisis, he was pulled out again. 
Was, was yeah. there one of those oddball series? Like there was a series yeah, called... Legion. He 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 joined Legion and was I think he was their leader if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm thinking something else. Let me let me see if I can find it here real quick. Because um, remember, um, Lady Quark. Yes, from, from Legion. She was one of the survivors. Or I, I think she's the oh, oldest. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. Girl. After she yeah. and she and him had a thing for a while in Legion. That was the one that was you know was L. Was L Captain, period, no, e period. Yeah, Captain Comet wasn't in fifty two, right? Um, I'm thinking Adam Strange. Yeah, Adam Strange was in fifty two. Why am I not finding Legion? I know I have. Just about the whole series of the, oh here it is it's under L period E but that's why I didn't find it. All right, I can't remember if he was there from the very beginning. I don't think he was. I think he joined them later on, like right around the same time that Lady Quark came into the team. I think maybe even later than that. But I know he did eventually join the team because they became a thing. Here he is here on the cover of number twenty nine. Ooh, and his junk is poking. Yeah, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, Barry Kitson on that. I don't remember what happened to him though. I one of the two of them died. Either either Lady Quark or him. Maybe both of them did. I'm not sure. That's one of those series I I, I have scattered issues, and I only ever followed it sporadically. One of these days, I want to sit down and like read it start to finish. I just never have. So I'm I can't remember what happened to him. Hopefully, he didn't die. But I, I liked it. I always liked Captain Comet. I always thought he was cool because he's kind of like, he's kind of like DC's Superman before Superman. You know, when it comes to the, I was gonna say the the post crisis continuity, but even even pre crisis, you know, with the whole Earth two, you know, Earth one thing, you know, Superman on Earth one would have would have come along much later. Um, you know, with the sliding time scale and all that. So, yeah, Captain Comic was kind of represented like that first generation of heroes on Earth-1. And I think that was one of the reasons I always liked him. I always felt like the other heroes should look up to him more than, than they, you know, they seem to have been written to do because he was around before them. He was, you know, one of those earlier... Because you have to remember, pre-Crisis, Earth-1 didn't have any heroes really back before the 50s you know the, because it wasn't until they melded the worlds together after crisis on infinite earths that then you had you know the first generation of heroes like with the jsa and then you know the the second age of heroes you know starting with superman pre presumably that would have been like the, in the 80s and then you know they kind of played fast and loose with that whole middle period of heroes in the 50s and 60s you know because I, I always, it always seemed to me like they were having a hard time getting a handle on, okay, what happened in that middle period between the two ages of heroes, especially as time wears on and they want to keep characters like Superman or whatever relevant. They have to keep sliding it further and further, you know, closer to our time so that, you know, they're not aging necessarily. So then that gap between the golden age of heroes and the modern age of heroes just gets wider and wider. So it seems strange that there is this giant period of time when apparently in the DC universe, there's no heroes. And I always thought that that was very fertile ground for telling some interesting stories of 
you know, what were the what was the world of the post-crisis Earth like in the 50s and 60s, you know, after the JSA, but before Superman came along for the second age of heroes? I just I thought that that could have been fun to tell more stories about that stuff. And I know they did a few of them, but I thought that there was some really good stuff that could have been done there. And they never really seemed to take advantage of that. I, I thought Captain Comic would have been a, an interesting choice to maybe use to, to fill in that stuff. Yeah, I mean, Marvel tried, uh, John Byrne tried to do that with Marvel when he did, uh, what was it, the Lost Years? Or yeah. What? Lost Generation. Lost, Lost Generation. Generation, yeah. And, uh... How was that? I never did get to finish... I never know, read I, it. I never read it, so years. I can't say from personal experience, but I have heard that people who have read it say it was underrated. I read it a long time ago, and I don't remember anything right off the top of my head. The only other one I can remember is, um, again, with DC, I remember... In Martian Manhunter, and I don't remember who the writer was. Might have been Mensch, but I can't remember. Uh, somebody did try to tackle that period of time because you have to remember uh, Martian Manhunter was supposed to have come to Earth in the 50s as well. And it was one of those things where it seemed to me like they would, they would brace, you know, like embrace that. And then distance themselves from it. And then embrace it and then distance themselves. It's like they couldn't decide, okay, has Martian Manhunter really been around this long on this Earth? Or do we want to make him more contemporaneous with the rest of the Justice League? So they seem to kind of hem and haw about that. But for a time, they did kind of embrace his 50s roots. And they had him operating on Earth as a hero kind of background it's like when superman landed on earth and everything and i remember there being a a kind of a a proto justice league and i can't remember what the name of it was it was it was i want to say it was justice something but it was you know it wasn't just a society and it wasn't justice league but it was basically like a, a team of heroes operating similarly to those teams but in the 50s um, and they were all, you know, they were heroes that were all invented just for that particular storyline and whatever. And I liked what they were attempting, just not necessarily the execution of it. But I liked that they were at least acknowledging the fact of, you know, again, that this was, you know, an interesting time to try to fill in in the DC history. They just never really seemed to do enough with it. Because I think, you know, with the with the benefit of hindsight and and knowing history and everything it would be cool to be able to go back and write stories set in that universe during that time frame of things like you know the beginning of the space program and uh you know the early days of you know like kennedy and uh the civil rights movement and you know vietnam and things like that and really you know tell those kinds of stories because while both Marvel and DC obviously were around and publishing stories during those times, neither one of those companies really um, embraced the times, so to speak. And, and, you know, what I mean is like in World War II, you had, you know, the, the superheroes fighting the war. Yet we get later on in time and suddenly, you know, our superheroes don't get involved in real world stuff anymore. So you didn't have like 
uh, like Captain America going to Nam or anything like that. And I thought this would be an interesting way to do that with, again, using some of these, these you know, B and C list characters and maybe even inventing some characters to kind of fill in that history a little bit and potentially tell some really interesting stories, especially if you could come up with characters that we don't know, so we don't know what happens to them, and then you could potentially, you know, a, a team of heroes does go off to Vietnam, and oh my gosh, they get killed, or, you know, something happens, or he becomes a supervillain, whatever, you know, it's just just that idea that they, they had that that area of time to play with and never really did. Well, Marvel did come up with the 50s Avengers. Right. Although I yeah. think that was a decent concept that wasn't as good in execution. Mm-hmm. And it was all characters that were known, if I remember right. Right. You had, like, what was it, like, Tri-D Man or whatever his name was? I think oh, it was just you're talking about that Man, one. Wasn't well, it? well, there was the other 50s. Of, well, okay. Well, they, they, they recently they did the 50s the Avengers that came, that came up in What If... That right. was uh, yeah. that was three D man and uh, that was the Crusader robot man and, and the yeah the gorilla guy whatever his name was. I'll see that. <laughs> but I think, but then that? they did a mini series about five years ago, and it was a Howard Chaykin one that had like Nick Fury with uh, Sabretooth with was Dominic in Fortune. Dominic Fortune, yeah. Sabretooth. Um, hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. See, I heard good stuff about the one you're talking about, Paul. Did did you read it and not like it? The what if one or the what was how taken one? A- Agents of Atlas was that the? Uh, well, that's eventually what it became. They they did a couple of, uh, but that was that was a little different because the Agents of Atlas didn't have Sabretooth, I think, or Nick Fury. I think Johnny Wu was in that. Or maybe Ernie Chan. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I was going to play it straight from, from Godzilla. Well, from Shield too, I think wasn't Johnny Wu right. in? Uh... No, yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to do Johnny Wu. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you're, you're not, but you did. I'd heard good things about that, so I, I'm curious now to. I, I know I heard the Agents of Atlas series was good. I did not hear good things about the '50s Avengers book, which was a separate book. I heard the Agents of Atlas was a good read, and I never—I meant to read it, and I never got around to it. Right. So I don't know. Just, just as an aside for anybody who's listening who isn't familiar with uh, the source material of the book I covered, the uh, character I kept calling Groot is actually the Floronic Man, right? Who's like a walking <laughs> tree who controls uh, vegetation, and I kept calling Blockbuster the Hulk because clearly Blockbuster is ripped off from the Hulk. Oh, definitely, yeah. So I just, I just thought it was worth actually clearing that up in case anybody uh, didn't know. What'd you and, think? Uh, I was. Was this your first time reading this? No, I read this many years ago. Oh, okay. But it's been many years. And looking back on it, the artwork to me looks like a poor man's Joe Staten. Yeah. You know, not as good as Staten by any stretch of the imagination, but the same type of line work to it. And it's a little disappointing. I mean, I, I look at things like, even if you go on to page three of the story, look at look at a Blockbuster's right leg. What the hell's going on there? <laughs> is that, is that, is that a, is, did he borrow his leg from Gorgon? 
from the He's last book. He's got a book? prosthesis. Apparently, I mean, it did the and it looks like uh, the wizard is is singing a pirate song. He's Yo ho Mor- ho! He's Captain Mor- <laughs> He's Captain Morgan. It. He's got his leg up. You know. Yeah, I mean, goatee. some some of the posing in it is is really bad. Make I poses think. with me, SpongeBob. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not at all crazy about this artwork. I don't really care for it. I like the story. They <laughs> never do really explain why uh, Owl Man and uh, Ultraman don't get out, or if they do get out. They don't really tell you what happened to them. They just decided they were going to use three members of the crime syndicate and to hell with the other two. Did they even mention them? I don't they mentioned they on mention. uh, uh, the story on the artwork, uh, it says page 10. Blockbuster. Uh, He's one of the fearsome five. Isn't he going up to get to Teen Titans later on? Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same character or not. I don't really recall offhand. Perhaps Tom T- Panarese would know. What was? I'm sorry, what was the question? Isn't Blockbuster part of the Fearsome Five that later takes on the Teen Titans when uh, Perez is doing them in the in the 80s? It's either him or his brother, because one of them got, I want to say, either cured or killed, and then his brother took over. There's, there have oh. been a number of different Blockbusters over the years. They're not all the same one. Gotcha. Hmm. What is does the Shaggy Man fall into the whole blockbuster thing, or is that a completely different character? I, I believe that's a, that's a different guy. Yeah. Mm. But uh, I, I like I said, I thought the story was pretty cool. I think the whole concept of them accidentally ending up on Earth three and freeing these villains that have been, uh, you know, as far as real time, have been locked away in this interdimensional area for, I guess, around thirteen years at this point. Right. Just, just pulling them out and using them. You know, it's pretty cool. And then having, you know, you have villain team against villain team with Captain Comet in the middle of it. it I think it's just, just a, you know, I, I think it's a high concept idea in its own way. And uh, fairly well in execution as well. It, it definitely makes me want to read the next issue over again and see what the helmet-free Johnny Quick can do. So, you know, I... I Overall, I give it a, a, a solid thumbs up, despite my dislike of the artwork. What did you think of it overall? I, I like it a lot. It's been a long time since I've read the story, so I, I was a little fuzzy on the, the specifics of you know, what was happening in the series at this time, you know, where was Captain Comet, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's... It, Still, you know, it's fun to just pull it out and, and see it again after all this time. There, there were some details I'd forgotten, like you know about uh, the helmet giving Johnny Quick his power. I, I'd completely forgotten about that, and I like here that there was a, a little bit of solidification about some of the other details of the characters because it does refer to Superwoman as a renegade Amazon, so that does kind of shore her up a little bit more of being. Uh, an evil Wonder Woman, although again there there's still differences between her and Wonder Woman. Um, what's funny for me though is my my biggest thing from this is actually the artwork because I like both Mike Vosberg and Bob Smith. So I'm not sure what's going on with some of the wonkier elements of the story because I'll agree with you that opening splash not pretty at all. Captain Comet looks like he's having like an allergic re- you know reaction or, or like he's been quasi or something. He just looks <laughs> freakish. 
And same thing with that picture you pointed out of Blockbuster. He does not look good. But then there's other uh, panels in this later on that I think are great. So it's it's very weird. It's it's very inconsistent that it, it's kind of back and forth with the artwork. But uh, I, I think you summed it up nicely. I think you know poor man's Joe Staten's a perfect way to sum it up because Joe Staten's not the most um, you know. He, he doesn't oriented. always draw the prettiest pictures or, or make everybody anatomically correct. He's more going for what looks good, what's dynamic, you know, what's action-packed and action-filled. So he's not the most, um, you know, he's not real tight a lot of times with, with making things look, uh, you know, anatomically correct or whatever. But I, I love this, I, you know, the, the parts of this that work. It's just not as... Um, it's not as good as Staten would do, but it's very Staten-esque nonetheless. Doesn't the uh, doesn't the Plant Master look like one of the Blue Meanies from the Yellow Submarine movie? <laughs> yeah, at times it, he does. Yeah. Well, especially on the opening splash page there. I think Just, he looks like Groot. Yeah, <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's like a walking tree. Yeah, he kind of kind of does. Could yeah. be an ant. Okay, an maybe an ent. Maybe an ent wife. Could be NTM. NTM, NTM. It's a twister. It's a twister. But I don't, I don't have a lot more on this, unfortunately. So unless you guys have anything, I guess I'll rate it. And I'm taking your silence as meaning you don't have anything more on. Uh, I think the cover is really good. I'm gonna say an A on the cover. I think it's exciting it's dynamic it made me want to pick it up off the stands and it still makes me want to pick it up so just a solid a cover i think everybody yeah. looks good the villains look threatening Cam captain comet looks like he's gonna crap his pants i mean everything about it is really cool captain comet i think i should give my dog an upgrade make him a captain because right now he's just playing comet he could be well he got to start at the bottom he should be private comet right now private comet <laughs> the interior art I, I just can't. I, I'm not that familiar with Mike Vosberg, actually, but uh, this this hasn't made me want to seek out any more of his work. I, I, I'm going to say a D plus on the interior art. I'm not, I'm not fond of it at all. I think the faces look bad. I think a lot of the bodies look bad. Uh, I don't think the artwork looks dynamic. There's the occasional decent-looking picture, but I don't think there's any that are really, really good. So... I, I don't think I'm being overly harsh because that's what I believe it looks like. I mean, you know, your, your mileage may vary. I think the story, again, I think it's pretty cool. I think that Conway did a really good job with this one. So I'm going to say a B-plus on the story. It's not the greatest, but it's pretty cool. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to say an A on the story. I, I, I think it is really cool because, again, like I said, I think it's kind of a high concept and pulling out old villains from mothballs that and 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 doing them more justice than they were in their first appearance which we covered whatever a month ago so overall i'm gonna say i guess that average out, averages out to about a b minus uh the cover i like this cover i don't know if it's unlike um the book i did a while ago with um, 
the Silver Surfer where everything in space had way too much crap behind it. The space behind these guys looks to me like space should look. Yep. And just for that alone, I that just like raises it a little bit. And everybody's well drawn. It's it's it it gets your attention. So I'm I'm gonna give the cover an A for this. The inside, oof. Uh, hmm. I know I've said before. Well, I couldn't draw this good, but that doesn't mean you know why that doesn't give them a piss. Yeah. So I don't know if I go D, but it's not. It's definitely not. It's it's. I'd say D plus C minus. Probably pushing more towards the D. You know, there's a couple pages here and there that are that are okay, but others are just really whacked. And it's a good. I you know I I enjoy the um, what ifs and alternate Earths and else worlds and all you know multiverse stuff is always. I found it interesting, you know, seeing different takes on light characters and such. So, and it's nice to see this mashup of different worlds again. So, um, I'm going to give the story A minus. So, yeah, with a D and two A's, yeah, you're probably looking at a C plus B minus book. Scott? All right. Well,. Let's see. I really like the cover with one exception. I think Superwoman looks wonky. Her her face looks different. It, it's almost as if it's a different artist altogether. I don't know why somebody else would have drawn, you know, her face or whatever. I don't think anybody really did. It's just it, it's not consistent with the other faces. So it, it just it has kind of a strange look to it. But that said, I really do like the cover on this. Uh, I do think it's semi-iconic and uh, good catch, Bill. I didn't even really think about the thing with space behind them, but you're right. That's how space should look. I guess that's why I didn't really think about it. But yeah, it's not chock full of you know planets and moons and everything. All you know, blue stars, green in, clovers. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, so many of them that it just wouldn't work, gravitationally speaking, like that other issue that we were looking at. I mean, this looks like what you would expect it to look like if you were just floating out in the stars. So I, I like that. And I like the, the very odd mix of characters that we have all on this cover. I just think that's really cool. So yeah, I love the cover. I'm going to say, uh, I think I'll go straight up A on the cover. I really like this cover. It's dynamic. And yeah, this would definitely make me want to pick up the issue just to see, all right, what the heck's going on here? Interior art is, that's the toughest grade of all on this because... Again, I you know I like these artists, and there are parts of the book that I really like. I think pages um, thirteen and fourteen, especially fourteen, I think is great. The fight between Power Ring and Reverse Flash, I think it looks great. I think that looks like Joe State. And if somebody had just pulled out those four panels and said, "Quick, who is this artist?" I would say Joe State. And so in those panels. It really works, but I'm not prepared to judge the entire book just on four great panels because so much of the rest of the book really doesn't work. Um, page 13, the first two panels with Superwoman, she looks great. She looks really, uh, you know, very pretty and very uh, dynamic and everything. 
but there's just too much of the rest of the book that just looks wonky. Blockbuster never looks good on any panel. Um, and there's just a lot of just strange anatomy and, and very clunky, awkward looking stuff. And, you know, I, I tend to judge a comic a lot by its opening page, you know, its opening splash or whatever. And the opening splash of this is just, you know, I got to be honest, it's terrible. He, he, Captain Comet just looks wrong. He, he looks like something has been done to him to where he, he looks like a hunchback or something. He just looks bizarre. So he's he's Arnim Zola. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His head's like in the middle of his chest. It's just freaky looking. Um so I don't know, despite the fact that there are parts of it I really like, as, as a whole, it's not all that great with the art. I think I would go uh I think I'd go a C plus. I think it's a it's better than average. But it's got a long way to go to really be where it should be for these particular artists that I know really do good stuff. Uh, as far as the story, I'm going to give the story a straight up A. I really like this. And I like, um, I know it's more Marvel's thing at the time than DC's, but I like the classic misunderstanding leads to the big fight. Because I kept trying to remember why in the world were the crime syndicate who are super villains fighting uh the secret society who are super villains why what the hell why were they fighting and not teaming up and i i forgot that it's it's a simple misunderstanding the crime syndicate just naturally assume that these guys have something to do with the justice league that put them there so i thought that was cool i'm like oh, that's enough of a motivation so they're they're basically fighting for nothing when they really should be teaming up and being an unstoppable force and i think that's pretty cool and then, you know, as often would happen in these issues, poor Captain Comet just kind of stuck in the middle. You know, and that's what just kept happening to him in these stories is he just... Uh, unfortunately, I think taken as a whole, the, the series doesn't really paint Captain Comet in the best light because he does seem like kind of a bungler. He's there every issue fighting these guys, but he's pretty ineffectual. He He never really, you know... He never really seems to resolve the problem. He just kind of, kind of blunders from one adventure to another against the the society. So I don't know. But See, it society is to the left of me. Crime syndicate <laughs> to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what's that average out to. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a solid B, maybe B plus. I, I really like this, uh, but you know, I have a soft spot for uh, for this series as a whole, anyway. So, but yeah, there you go. I'll say a B plus. All right, so two pretty solid books this week. Yeah, we Some usually. Good, I think we're funnier when we have shit books, though. <laughs> I thought we did pretty good. There's some chuckles in there. I, uh, I want to put the call out again. I don't know if I've done this in a while, but I want to put the call out again. If there's books that... Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. I was putting the call out. Sound oh, okay. <laughs> if there's books out there that listeners would like to hear us talk about, uh, throw some suggestions in our, in our Facebook group uh, if there's anything, because uh, I'm always open to suggestions. While you're and, at it, give us iTunes reviews. Yes. Oh, and, and send me free stuff. And if there's books you don't want to hear us do, tell us, because then we'll do them. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. What? No scathing Ernie Chan joke to finish the show? I'm shocked at this development. Ernie Chan gotta fly away like a butterfly. Wait, now I'm Ernie Chan. When did Ernie Chan become Mr. T? (laughs) Mr. T.